All right. Nice beer. It's 11% though. <laughs> Mate, you're going to be absolutely hanging by the end of this episode. <laughs> you- I'll get drunk, sober up, and be hungover in the full <laughs> recording of this episode. <laughs> wondered what happens to a distillery when it is no longer needed does the door just get closed and forgotten about what about the casks in the warehouse and the bottles that now find themselves becoming highly desirable and crazy expensive if you've always pondered all these questions then you're in the right place this week on not another whiskey podcast because we're going to dig into the subject of rejuvenated distilleries welcome my friends and whiskey geeks my name is mitch beshard and as always i'm joined by a man they call the wonder nose not because he's got a great ability to sniff out characteristics with a whiskey but because it is so massive i just call him daz how you doing mate <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. It's really hard, isn't it, to sort of sit here silently and just let you crack on with these insults. <laughs> <laughs> you love it, though, don't you? you, you secretly, do. you, you really like it deep down inside. I do. I do. It's um, my nose is is, is definitely um, sizable. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Easy target. Yeah, mate. Well, look, if you're new around here and you haven't caught up with us before and you're joining the podcast for the first time, we are now on our 24th episode which is quite remarkable. Um, This episode, Mitch, um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at these legendary distilleries. Um, And actually, the reason why they've become legends, almost myths, is because of their closure and also the liquids that they've produced in the past as well. So to help us along the way, mate, what I did, well, what I thought I would do is I'd, I'd catch up with an old buddy of mine, Andy Flat, who looks after the brand home, up at Barora, which is one of these legendary distilleries that had disappeared uh, for many, many years uh, back in the 80s and was reopened just last year. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, really looking forward to that one. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good chat, that. Um, sorry, I missed it. I've been uh, in training, getting my cycling done for my Isla trip coming up where I'm going to be cycling around Isla and Jura. So I'd, oh, I, I right, mate, bigger, out, like, bigger fish to fry. Athlete these days. That was like a 30 mile cycle that day. But um, yeah. yeah, really good, good interview that. And also I sat down, we kind of went solo on this episode, mate, because I sat down with Gordon Dundas from Ian McLeod mm. Distillers. Uh, yeah, sorry I couldn't are... join you, mate. I was washing my hair. Yeah, yeah, it's fine, mate. So it's, yeah. That's, that's a big job to do something. that. You know, mm. including that beard as well. You know, you've got a lot of yeah, stuff I did my to wash. Just yeah. for you. Yeah, it was starting to grow stuff. <laughs> So as some of you may know, Ian McLeod Distillers are about to open the or reopen the legendary Rosebank Distillery over in Falkirk. Uh, mm-hmm. So really interesting to sit down with Gordon, chat about that. That's going to come up on the show. Uh, but before we get into this whole rejuvenated distillery theme, Daz, mm-hmm. what has been happening in the world of Daziness these days? What have you been That's up to? A few things going on, mate. Um over on Isla not that long ago. Mm. Um, I was over at uh, Beaumont, a distillery I hadn't been to for quite some time, I must say. Um, and they, as part of their collaboration with Aston Martin, 18 Aston Martin DBXs were created uh, with Beaumont. Um, and they used some of the copper from an old wash still, used some of the Beaumont tartan and some of the interior linings and stuff. And um, actually managed to take the Aston Martin out for a little spin which nice. was uh, pretty special. It was pretty nice. I'm not going to lie. Um, was it fast? And I had a really good, it's quick, mate. Yeah, it's yeah. really powerful. 
it's it's an amazing thing. I'll I'll put a photo up on the Instagram channel of the car, um, so you can see it with some of its wee bits and pieces and things. Um, I think I might have a video of me driving it as well. So that if, if if I'm allowed, I'll put it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was really nice. Certainly different from driving my car. Um, but I had a bit of a nightmare, mate, going over. I'm not gonna lie. I left Edinburgh about nine o'clock. I phoned the George Hotel told them I was going to be checking in late at about half 11 at night. And um, I got stopped at the Rest and Be Thankful as part of this uh, road resurfacing works. Oh, and I got stuck for an hour and a half. So I finally got to the George Hotel at about half past one in the morning. Um, and there was nobody there. The doors were locked, so I couldn't check in. Um, so I had to sleep in my car. <laughs> On the, on the, yeah, I had to sleep in my car that no night. Way. Yeah, yeah. So I got straight out of my car, straight onto the ferry, no shower, no uh, real opportunity to change my clothes and things. So um I, I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't in the best form when I finally got to Isla. It's usually the other way around, you know. <laughs> That's brutal, mate. That is brutal. Yeah, that's well, what I, I like. I haven't had any uh, disgusting stories like that going on with me, thankfully. Mm. I haven't had to sleep in my car. Um no, I'd been pretty busy, a lot of stuff going on. I did an in-person tasting for the first time, which was quite nice recently. So I um, I did a, a charity tasting that I put together for Ukraine, yeah. which you helped me Very out cool. on. So thanks for, for donating some stuff uh, for that. And that yeah, that was great, man. It was just in, in my local town of uh, Abadour, and we raised uh, £1,300 for, for the charity. That was it. was a lot of fun, actually. That's the first time I've done an in-person tasting in a while. What was the last time you did an in-person tasting? Oh, uh, one of the whiskey shows, I suppose. Does that count? I've just drawn a blank there. Like, I know. What was the dude, last? That's time what I mean. Because of COVID, it's it kind yeah. of feels weird, right? I mean, I was in yeah. a room with there was twenty people there, and I'm like, wow, this is so cool. Actually, doing this again. Did you get clammy hands. Nah, I didn't. You know, that was a good thing. It was just, it was, it's like, I think it's like riding a bike when you, you've done it for so long. You just jump back straight, yeah, straight into that. it. I knew you were going to say that. It's just like what? riding a bike. <laughs> That's just what I do. <laughs> so, anyway, let's chat about what we're drinking tonight before we yeah, get into right, this. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, well, funnily enough, um, I actually don't have a glass of whiskey in front of me right now, but I will, I will grab one. Um, I'm on a beer right now. I was at the Drygate Brewery today, mm. and uh, one of the fellas over there, uh, lovely of them gave me their uh, spiced Belgian quad which is an 11% strong Belgian style beer uh, very delicious rich fruity spicy really enjoying it I love triples like uh, Belgian triples and uh, he was telling me today that these are quite similar just a bit stronger maybe not quite as light so yeah very tasty beer so for anyone listening when you hear by the end of the episode that Daz hmm. is like just stumbling and falling over and slurring his words that's the reason why he's drinking 11 probably just beer. probably just hear me snoring mate to be honest <laughs> <laughs> mate, i'm excited i'm drinking a birds and the bees uh beer you just popped a whiskey and i'm gonna have a bit of lagavulin an 11 year old so this is the one i actually cracked this for the tasting that i was just talking about this is the nick offerman one that i got from the um distillery mm. when i was over in isla and I cracked the it for the tasting. Finished in a Guinness cask, yeah. Exactly, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it was the first time I tried it for the tasting, and it's mm -hmm. got this really nice, like, dark chocolate coffee on the nose that you don't normally get with Lagavulin. So, Daz, let's get back onto the subject we're here to talk about right, let's do this. this evening, right? I think, I think, as always, it's good to kind of set the scene and talk about 
why a distillery would actually close its doors. Mm. And there's a couple of reasons. Um, firstly, I mean, let's be honest here, the liquid is crap, right? A distillery is just not performing well. It shuts down. It never reopens. And for me, I don't know if you've got any good examples of this, but for me, the best example I know of is Parkmore up in Speyside. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons it closed down was because the water source, apparently, it was, it was very hard. There was a lot of lime scale, and it affected the stills. And that one of the quotes that I found was uh, that the distillery manager actually from Parkmore was once heard saying, uh, come away in and I'll offer you a dram of the worst whiskey in Scotland. So even the distillery mm -hmm. manager knew it was bad. The other big reason is it could have been surplus to requirements during the lack of demand for whiskey at the time, right? And, and you know, we, we've got these obvious points in time within Scotch whiskey where this is going to happen. Prohibition being one of them. Uh, world wars the other one uh you know then we we move into the the 60s the well, i suppose the 60s the 70s the 80s and the 90s all were a bit of a depressed time for scotch whiskey you know we move into the 80s where everyone starts having different drinking habits they start drinking bacardi vodka becomes a, a massive thing and whiskey kind of takes this this sort of back seat we then have these whiskey locks coming up and it, during the 80s, we see massive closures of uh, whiskey distilleries, either being mothballed or completely closed down and turned into something else. Yeah, I think, you know, you're right. I mean, what's clear, right, is in the history of whiskey is there are clear ups and downs. And you mentioned the 60s. There was a huge amount going on in the 60s. 60s, almost like the mid-2000s, huge amounts of um, closed distilleries reopening most distilleries doubling in capacity or adding new stills. And, and all of that was obviously fueling growth of blends, big blends and light blends, J&B, Cutty Sark, these blends that were really starting to sort of take the world by storm, if you like. And we saw that kind of moving into the 70s. And there was a huge amount of promise around those two decades. But what had happened was obviously in the 60s and 70s as distilleries had um, upped capacity and started to create much more whiskey, I think the sales guys were maybe committing to too much and, and the, the, you know, there was a bit of a, well, where are these orders? You know, we, we, we were told that these were forecasts and, and now, you know, it's, it's not there. And I guess in, in a very competitive time, well, at a time where they, they hadn't done this before, it makes sense. And they got it wrong. And, and in the 80s, you're sat on a shit ton of stock that doesn't really have a home now, you know? So you've got a lock of what yeah. was known as the whiskey lock, you know? And obviously the Patterson crash back in the 60s, that was massive mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting, I mean, I, I dug into the Patterson crash quite a bit and those guys were just spending so much money. It was insane, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think their, their uh, budget, I read, was equivalent to about five million pounds a year. That was just on their that was your. That was your... That was your expenses when you, the year that you finished up with on That was my teeny, mate. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was trips to Hawaii and everything, you know? Um, <laughs> no, but it, I mean, the Patterson crash was huge as well. A lot of, a lot of distilleries closed because of that. So mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, talking about, we can probably talk about all these different factors, right? And, and the ages and everything and what happened. But let's define what we're talking about here. And what we're talking about here is a mothballed distillery. So, yep. as how would you explain a mothballed distillery to someone? Okay, I, I, what I've got in my head, most distilleries close. Um, there's a number of distilleries in Scotland right now that haven't produced for a number of years, right? 
Uh, let's look, knock Andal's a great example. It's been closed at least for two or three years. Dal Ewan, where your copper brock is, um, is shut at the moment, probably won't open for two or three years. Yeah. Ken Inish has been closed, I think, for three years. It happens quite a lot, right? And distilleries close. They don't need them all the time, operating all the time and stuff. So is that mothballed or is that just a temporary closure? Difficult to say. What I would say is the, the distilleries that we're kind of focusing on today, Brora, Rose Banks, these distilleries were closed with no real plan to reopen them at all. All right. So that's the ones I would like to talk about. So Port Ellen, Barora, Rosebank, those types of distilleries. Um, the, the ones that are closed at the moment for two or three years, I don't really, that, yes, they're mothballed, um, but the, everything has been maintained. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've yeah. probably still got stock in the warehouses. Um, somebody's probably still there every day, just making sure that, you know, things are okay and, and someone's managing them. Um, yeah. the, these distilleries, I mean, I don't know, you, you've been a couple, haven't you? You, you? You've been to some of these distilleries that are just shut, they're gone, and you wear your camera and things like that, and they're effectively just abandoned, basically. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to see. I've, I've still never been into one that's, you know, just it's still got all the equipment in it, and, and it's like... Well, Broder was like probably the best example of that, right? Yeah, and and also Rosebank as well, which you know we're gonna mm. we get into to that a little bit with with uh, with Gordon Dundas mm-hmm. uh, in a second. He talks about when the company took over Rosebank, there was still the, the part of the well, the stills weren't there, but the washbacks were all there. The stills were actually stolen by someone. Uh, yeah, there. the copper is so valuable. People just yeah. steal that. People steal the lead on the window linings and all sorts of stuff. Definitely, but, but yeah, I think I mean, so. My my definition is is a distillery that that's been closed for about twenty years that hasn't been manned, hasn't been managed, um, and, and, is, and it has real no, no plan, ultimately. Literally just uh, shut the doors, put a lock on it, and that's it. I, I don't know this for a fact, but we could ask one of the guys, the operations people that, that deal with this stuff. I'm certain it must be more expensive to reopen a distillery than, it, than, than rebuilding a distillery from scratch, right? Yes. So it's about 12 and a half million quid to build a decent sized distillery. I think something like an Ardna hole or something like that would probably cost about that. I bet it costs more than that to reopen Brora. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a very good point. And then, you know, I think as well, when we're talking about distilleries that are just closed, gone, Campbelltown is a great example of that, right? So mm. that's a case of where it was the area that fell victim, um, you know, with Campbelltown, we see transportation of whiskey changing. Rail became more popular than sea. Um, they also became a little bit greedy, I think, with what they were doing there. The quality went down a little bit. And, you know, Campbelltown, as, as most people listening will know, used to have 30-odd have distilleries there, and now we're down to three. So there is a big difference, I think, between when we talk about mothballing and then completely closed, no chance of ever opening up again. Yeah, for me, I think like the rejuvenation of distilleries, kind of the theme for this in my head was much more about these distilleries that were named, that had product going out at one point, that then closed and that are now going to reopen 25 to 30 years after their closure. And it's so exciting. And it is interesting because when you talk about those reasons, why do those distilleries close? Well, why did Port Ellen shut and Kalila stay open? The reason is, is, is that Port Ellen was old um, it, it wasn't really producing whiskey that was superior or inferior to anything that Diageo could produce or DCL could produce on the island at the time. So Lagavulin survives and Kalila survives because they're bigger, they were more efficient, 
Um, and they were more, I guess, fitting to what Diageo needed in terms of either a malt whiskey brand of stock or stock for blends. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And it's remarkable, really, what's happened to Port Ellen because now everybody's sort of clambering around going edition one, edition two, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, whereas at the time, remember, when we worked at Diageo, we could have bought any of those Port Ellens for about 80 quid. Mate, I picked up release one for £25 in the staff shop. And it's, I think what's interesting is, right, you get a lot of people who are very passionate about whiskey that look to the past and, you know, say like, oh, it's just such good whiskey. I wish Port Ellen was still open. I wish, bro, and, and I'm going back to what during our Diageo days, right? We were almost seen as the baddies with a lot of like real kind of whiskey connoisseurs that would say, I can't believe you're working for a company that closed down these amazing distilleries. And hmm. the, the way I always looked at that, I was like, well, yeah, that is a bit of a negative, but no one has a crystal ball as to how it's all going to work with whiskey. Yeah. And the second thing is someone like Diageo, the Pernos of the world, yeah, they've had to make those tough decisions, but they've also done so much more positive things for pushing Scotch whiskey forward worldwide that is minuscule compared to closing down some of these distilleries that, that was obviously a tough decision they had to do back in the day. There's some great comeback stories. Look, look at Ardbeg, brilliant, closed yeah. for a good while, uh, reopens. Um, and I remember trying some of those products, um, still young, nearly there and all that sort of stuff when that story was coming back to life in the early 2000s. And of course, the other is um, Brew Claddy, one of the great comebacks, you know, of, of, of whiskey times. And we, we've, we've seen it happen a number of times. And I think what we're seeing right now is another batch of closed distilleries coming back to life. And it's, it's really exciting. And, and, and what we're doing, I mean, you and I, we're going to go to Loch Lea very soon. We're going to go and see a brand new distillery uh, in, its, in, its, in its infancy, its first few years. Um, and it's such an interesting time when you've got all these new distilleries opening up and then you've got a couple of these kind of sleeping giants, if you like, uh, coming back online as well. And that's a really mm. interesting mix of just sort of new, old, but new, you know, and, and everything in between. Mate, what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Do you know what you should do, Mitch? You should work in whiskey. You should give it a bash. Yeah, you think I'd be all right? I think you'd be all right, mate. Yeah, yeah. I'd be good at it. Might apply. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, mate, let's get into this. You sat down with Andy from Brora. You had yeah. a good conversation. Let's find out what he had to say about the Brora distillery. We're going to be talking about Andy, and we have talked about with Mitch, is, is the revival of some of these distilleries that, that were lost and they were destined to be lost forever. Um, but a few of these distilleries have been revived recently, and, and none perhaps more famous than the Brora distillery. I think that's fair to say, is it not? I think, yeah, very fair to say. I mean, it's yeah. always exciting um, to see, you know, distilleries come back. But I think in general terms, you know, the, the revival, the restoration of Brora, it, it's one of the biggest things to happen in whiskey for as long as I can remember. What, what are you doing there? And, and tell us a little bit about kind of how you ended up there. So technically speaking, my, my, my job title is brand home host. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I essentially just host look after the tours make sure they run well organize everything for clients and guests coming up yep. so just i mean i look after the brand home in the background as well you know yep. admin and paperwork and the less kind of glamorous side but in, in general terms i'm kind of like i'm the guy that's going to shake your hand at the front gate and show you around and give you the chat everybody who comes there already loves brora 
it's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's not a hard sell to get someone to be excited about coming to Brona because yeah, they already yeah. are. People that are coming there that feel they've got a connection with it. There's people who've never, ever been there who'll maybe wander through the courtyard and they'll just touch the side of the still house or maybe put their hand on the still and just touch it and they have this connection with the place. Yeah, yeah. They've never, ever been there. It's this, you know, this kind of ethereal thing. And it, it's just wonderful. And it, it took me a wee while to get used to, you know, how someone could be so... I mean, I've seen people with like like misting up, walking through the gates and stuff because yeah. they just overjoyed to be there. I mean, you guys are creating something very different at Brora, and it feels like that's a it feels like that's a nice environment for you personally because of you know your interests. Yeah, I mean, I think what we've kind of concentrated on and, and what they kind of the whole that we strive towards is just making people feel welcome. You know, it's the home of Brora. It's the the brand home. You know, so you're coming into our home. Please feel relaxed and welcomed. You know, like I don't wear a tie. It's just nice, relaxed, chilled out. Mm. You know, people come in and make it feel welcome. But, but but the beautiful thing there is that I can. People tell me what they want to see and do there. You yeah. Know? The, the, you know, the tour has a flow that when it's got a start time and end time. But I kind of I can shorten it. I can play with it. We can do different things. So I kind of judge what people really really want to see and what they want to do. And then at that point, in the first five ten minutes of meeting someone, sitting having a coffee with them. Mm. chatting about what they're looking forward to the most that's when i plan the tour yeah you know so it's for, the, for the guys listening that are, that are going to make their way up to the, the north highlands what is available at brora for you know the whiskey enthusiast the whiskey collector what what can they do at brora okay so our you know our experiences are different in the fact that you know we don't have them every day you know yeah so maybe some months in the quieter you know quieter months of the year we'll maybe have four or five in the whole month Mm-hmm. You know, maybe in the summer it might be sort of five or six. You know, so what we're offering is small groups, and we're offering people the chance to come in to the blind home. To I mean, we're not talking about the forty-five minute tour here. Yeah, okay. I mean, experiences there are we've got one that lasts around three and a half to four hours, one that lasts around five and a half hours. So you're there all day. You know, right, okay. But what what that allows us to do is give a deep dive into everything, into Brora's history, its relationship with Brora the village, its industrial heritage. The, the restoration itself, how it was then, how it is now, what we've done to achieve that, you know, you, you go into the distillery and the whole point is you can interact with production, you know, so if you're there at the right time, you can make the spirit cup, yeah. you know, you can, you know, attemperate the water in the mash tun, you can start the mash tun, you can uh, do sort of like gravity checks, the washbacks, you're encouraged to get involved with these things, you're crafting the spirit as you're there, yeah. to get you know, really into it, you know, so it's it's just the fact that we can do something like that to bring people in, really get them involved, you know, because one thing Rora attracts is, I mean, whiskey geeks, I say the term whiskey geeks is like a, it's like a, a term of endearment for me because I am one myself. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's, again, people who come there love Rora, you know, everyone's pretty much on it, you know, they're well aware, but they're very well informed as well. Yeah. You know? So it's a long it's way from, to go without knowing where you're going it's, it's definitely a destination that's <laughs> yeah, the thing you know yeah. so nobody nobody's driving past and pops in you know i mean no. to be fair tours don't work like that you know we like to book them in advance because we have we have a we're lucky we have got a great food and beverage partner so you know lunch is part of the day as well so we yeah. have fantastic lunch local produce and so on so everything's just tailored to make it as bespoke as we can and just have that lovely relaxed feeling of just taking our time no, it's brilliant. No, it's great. It's great actually to hear 
just how it is being brought back to life. And you talked a little bit about there about how it was in the past and, and how it is now. Just kind of roughly, what kind of changes have been made at the distillery to, to sort of bring it back in to production? You know, there must have been some compromises or some changes that they went right out of the three styles that were made in the past, where we're going to pick one and we're going to go for that moving forward. You know, how, what, what kind of, what's changed and what's not? So first thing really is not a lot has changed. Right. You know? So kind of working. That was easy. That's it. Done. Yeah. We'll move on. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we were lucky now. We still had the original stills, you know, because the, the yeah, still house yeah. itself was in such a state of disrepair, it was impractical to take the stills out. But when, when you have the original stills, I mean, that's like the beating heart of the distillery, isn't it? You know? Yeah. But because you know the stills and you see them and you see the, you know, the, the volumes and so on, you can then reverse engineer the whole process to go, right, we need, you know, a, a wash charger this size. We need so many wash backs to have to do so many mashes per week and we need a mash done this big. But every piece of equipment we have in there is based on what was there before. Yeah. Like um, our mash tun is an exact replica of the rake and toy mash tun that Abercrombie's installed in the early 1970s. Right, okay. You know, so everything is the, the product, the fermentation times, the, the the temperatures of the water and wash backs, the volumes, that's all taken from Mashman's records from like the 1960s and 70s. Oh, okay. the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the one thing I would suggest that has changed is like energy efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. So we use less cooling water, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're more water efficient. You know, the, the whole point is we're not trying to make as much product as we can as quick as we can. Yeah. You know, we're making it how they did back then. Brilliant. Yeah. What what year was it at shut? Was it 83? 83 shot, yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of around that time that Port Ellen and there was quite a few distilleries that sort of went into sort of silent yeah. modes I, at, I that think point. at that point. From Scottish malt distillers, SMD, there was that year there was 11 distilleries yeah. closed and then two grain distilleries as well. What what sort of stands out as, as a whiskey that you've tried from Brora that will sort of stay on your lips forever, if you like? Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's so many to pick from and there's so many different kind of, there's the three core styles, but if you think back to like the, the broaders of the early 70s right 72 in particular right it's like this kind of golden vintage when it was this kind of like earthy robust style was just so prevalent and that became what broader was for a lot of people right. so even though we were closed for nearly 40 years people who were really really into whiskies and you, you, they were still accessible you know yeah so people would hoard these kind of these, these early 70s broaders and Pretty much the reason that we are talking about Brora now is because of those golden vintages, those fantastic years. For such a legendary distillery where, where the whiskies were very highly kind of sought after, especially in the last 10 or 15 years, Brora's people are scrambling around in the secondary market and they're, you know, they're looking to buy bottles at a high price, but they know they're probably going to go up in price and continue to do so. When people come and you've got this, it's, it's almost like a, you know, when a, a famous musician retires right or, or a great player retires sometimes they come out and they shouldn't have and do one more gig or play one more game and you know how has that gone down with the kind of brora lover you know the the, the person that, that that bought brora from the 70s and they've come up and seen you guys have they kind of fallen back in love you know another time with brora almost has it kind of had that kind of effect or 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 have a few people gone Ah, should have kept it closed. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's a really valid point, actually. And it's a yeah. great question. 
But what I would say is that because we've worked so hard to replicate the process exactly as it was, yeah. or as close to it as we can now, and because we've, you know, we put over a quarter of a million labour hours into the restoration work, you know, the stonework. The, you know, the it's the stonework I've seen. I haven't been in, but I've driven past and I've come up to the kind of gates and the stonework looks remarkable. It looks beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful. It really, yeah. really is. You know, and that's all reclaimed. So we've reused the same. I mean, the, the site was listed, Yeah. you know, so that's all reclaimed. I mean, it's all local limestone from uh, there's a, I think, a quarry about, well, used to be a quarry only a couple of miles away. Yeah, and the people see the effort we've put in. It was never the intention to make something that looks, although it does look beautiful, it was never intention to make something that looks good now. It's about what's going to look good in five years, 10 years, 50 years, yeah, 100 yeah. years for like future generations. So whoever takes over from me, yeah. and whoever takes over from, personally takes over from me in the chain of master distillers, it, it's more like this, we, we, we've brought it back and then we're kind of passing it on. Yeah, no, it's yeah. brilliant to hear about it, man. And thank you so much for joining us. And we'll catch up soon for a, a drama in real life. I look forward to that very yeah, much. Maybe, maybe perchance a cheeky wee sherry as well. Ah, uh, wee sherry too. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Class. Daz Mitch's Whiskey News of the Week. I think most of the Isle distilleries have announced their Fez Isle plans. Um, and they're coming in thick and fast. Everyone has a day or some people share a day. So obviously I was working at Jura for the last five years and Jura usually shared its day with either Boonahaven or Kilhoman. Um, so yeah, lots going on over on Isla. We're going to see tons of people coming over. I'm going over for Brooklady, uh, not Brooklady Day. I'm going over for Boonahaven Day mm -hmm. um, as a guest, Mitch. How about that? Oh, look at you. Very posh. <laughs> I'm excited about um, Ardbeg, what they're doing, because it looks like they're going to have like this world of punk day and they're releasing. Yeah. And, and uh, this is just because I'm on their mailing list. I don't know any, any more about this, but it looks like a, an Ardcore edition, which mm -hmm. I love the sound of, you know. Mm -hmm. the, I mean, the other thing that's out, I suppose, talking about festivals, the Spirit of Speyside Festival is almost upon us. And I don't know if you've had a look at the, the um, events that are on there, mate, but there's some crackers. Absolutely. Yeah, crackers. some really good ones. Yeah, yeah. really good ones. So, you, I mean, you're involved. So, you, you guys at Larkfire are going to be doing a number of events, which looks class. Really, really excited about that. I'm going to come up on the Wednesday night. I'm going to go to Glenfiddich for one of the opening dinners. I suppose you'll be there. I'll be there, mate. I think it'll be cool, mate. I mean, I'm excited about the ones that I'm doing with Larkfire because we're, you know, we based one around um, water, obviously, being Larkfire. And it's a, a distillery water tour that I'm doing with some pretty big names within the whiskey industry. So we're going to start at the Dowens, have a little highball there. And then we're going to head down to um, Ballandalic, meet my good friend Colin Poppy, who's the distillery manager there, have a wee dram, talk about the water source there. And then we're going to head up to the water source at Glenfiddich, chat with our good mate Mark Thompson, who's going to pull out some sexy Glenfiddich have a dram by the water source there. And then this nice. is this is the exciting part. We're going to head down to Gre uh, Glen Grant, hang out with Dennis Malcolm, go for a little mm. walk through the gardens there and pull out a couple of Glen, Glen Grants and then head down to Tamdu to finish it off. Mm -hmm. This is a crazy tour, man. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Tamdu so with Col uh, Gordon Dundas and Sandy McIntyre by the spay with a Tamdu in hand. Big news from Gordon and the team. Uh, at Tam Do is that they've just released an 18-year-old, which is big, big news. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Tam Do. Funnily enough, actually, my big brother 
Um, not a whiskey guy at all. He's a lager guy. Cam do he loves, absolutely loves. Every time he's like, what is in that stuff? And I'm like, mate, it's just good whiskey. It's as simple as that. Great casks, great distillery style, big time. Uh, and last piece of news, last piece of news, although we've covered it in the last episode, but we should just mention it again. Nice release from Craig Ellicke, the Armagnac release. Very cool. I like that. Big fan of that. Looking forward to seeing what's coming next from, from those guys. There's a lot happening. There's a lot happening in the world of whiskey. Mm. It's, it's tough to keep up, you know, but we're, we're keeping on the ball here. We're keeping you guys, the listeners of Not Another Whiskey podcast, involved in what's happening in whiskey. You're welcome. Let's just reel off some of the distilleries that have kind of gone through this mothball rejuvenation process, right? So Bladnick, mm. interesting one, ex Diageo one. Uh, it's gone yeah. through a couple of different owners since then. And now we've got um, Mr. Savage down there from McAllen. Yeah, the... Nick, Nick, Nick Savage is down there. We, we'll get Nick on definitely and have a chat yeah. with him about Bladnick and hear about what's going on. And you've also got Shane over in Australia, who's kind of their ambassador as well. He's a great guy. So yeah, we've got a couple of good pals over at Bladnick that we should definitely catch up with. It's a beautiful site, beautiful distillery. And then we've got the obvious ones, Port Ellen, Brora that we talked about. Now, yep. uh, this is an interesting one that I put in there. It's not really rejuvenated, but Lindor's you're wrong. Abbey, you're wrong. right? Lindor's Abbey, for me, it wasn't really a distillery. It was a monk, first written record of Scotch whiskey. Yeah. Now it's a distillery. So essentially, it's a new distillery, but it was a distillery, kind of. It's very tenuous okay. with regards to this. I'll take it. I'll take it. I think it's, yeah, it, it is, there's nothing from the old distillery at all that's in the new distillery. You're right. Nothing other than the story. So to me, it's not a, a rejuvenation of an old distillery. What it is, is a, a, a distillery that's inspired by history. That's what I would say. Okay. So I think that may be another episode, man. It, it, do you know what? It, it can be. However, what I would say is that Annandale is, is, is probably as far as you can stretch it. Uh, mm. The Annandale Distillery closed uh, just just as the the end of the First World War, pretty much, um, nineteen eighteen, um, and then reopened in two thousand and seven. So, almost a hundred years later, that distillery does come back again. I, I don't think I'm I'm not sure if there's any buildings or any uh, walls or anything like that that were used from the original site. I think there's a bit of warehousing. Was there something like that? Well, left? I mean, I, I've been down there and the only bit that I saw was when they did a dig, they found where the original stills were, uh, which is really cool to see when you go down there. Ardbeg, we've talked about. Brooklady, we've talked about. They were closed. Uh, one of the funny things I always remember, people would go to Brooklady. So sometimes I would take groups over to Isla and I'd say, look, go to a couple of distilleries, have a wee wander about and see what's happening. And every time they would go to Brooklady, they would always talk about when White Mackay shut them down. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then obviously guys like Mark Rayner and Jim McEwen and stuff came back and, and sort of saved the day. And it was quite interesting, actually, because you still, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. The impact of a closing distillery and what it has on the local community is felt for, for a long time. Um, I don't know about Rosebank. I've not spoken to anybody that's worked at Rosebank, or I don't really know anyone from the area of Falkirk particularly. Um, but I'm sure Gordon and the guys can give us a bit of an insight into that. Hey, Gordon, how you doing, man? Great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Another great podcast. Looking forward to being with you. 
Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. You know, Daz and I have chatted a lot about getting you on here. So it's 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 long overdue, mate. It's long overdue. And we need to do a proper one as well when we sit down with a couple of drams. This is going to be a really punchy one this time. But yeah. I don't know, too. Maybe we do a little collaboration with uh, Whiskey Unscripted, your podcast as well. Oh, watch this space, everybody. I think uh, not another Whiskey Unscripted podcast could happen, but we'll see. What, what an idea that would be. <laughs> he, uh, Gordon works for Ian McLeod Distillers, and he is the Brand Advocacy Director. That's a very posh title you've got now, mate. Well, it's literally about three days old, but yes, um, <laughs> it is. It's a very posh title. It, it's basically, um, you know, uh, ensuring that we are talking in the right frame about our brands in terms of you know really engaging with all the channels across the world it, it, it's a it is a posh title but it's really just about you know doing what you and I have done for many years um and Daz of course which is just enthusing and educating and, and really getting people you know on board with your brands so Gordon if anyone isn't aware of Ian McLeod brands let's talk about them what do you look after so we've got um two distilleries whiskey distilleries currently which is Glengoyne um, and we also have Tamdu which I've just returned from up on Speyside um, and we also have another brand called Smokehead which is a really really interesting Isla whiskey brand and our final distillery that we have which we're rebuilding currently is Rosebank so those are our four single malt whiskies. And Rosebank is what we're going to concentrate on today. As much as I'd love to talk to you about Tandu, because it is one of my favorites, especially after hanging out with a legend that is Sandy McIntyre up there recently and drinking some uh, amazing Tandu down by the Spey with him. That was such yeah. a fun time. Um, but, so let's, let's talk about Rosebank. And for you, how important is this rebuild of this iconic distillery? I mean, we're talking about a distillery that, that, can trace its roots back to 1840 i think it is and was then mothballed in 1993 so so for so you how important is this this to you and 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 how proud are you to be part of this whole sort of legacy of it being rebuilt well i mean i mean the key thing is it is a it is one of those whiskies or distilleries that's held in in remarkable esteem um and 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 there might be a few reasons for that um you know one of them of course uh, similarly to Brora uh, and Port Ellen, for example, is that they've not been available. They've not been producing. So, so mm. everybody wants a little bit of something they can't get, but, but I think Rosebank had a really unique style to it. And that's why, you know, Michael Jackson, you know, the famous whiskey writer did once say that uh, if there was, if there were, if there was a God, Rosebank would be reborn. Well, we are doing that. And so I would hope that he's looking down on us and going great. I'm glad to see that. So, I mean, yeah, we're, I'm very proud to be involved. Ian McLeod is proud to have been able to do it. I know Leonard, who's our managing director, is highly excited about the whole, and this has been a long-term thing. This has been, you know, six, five, six, seven years this has been going on for, and we're now four or five months from producing spirits. So it really is an exciting time. But it's it's also, we're also aware of the responsibility. Um, you know, we want to produce, this is effectively a new distillery, although... Um, we are rebuilding it on the same site with the same stills and all that type of thing. But we have this amazing legacy of what Rosebank was and what it and how many fans there are of it around the world and really how it was, you know, the signature lowland for a lot of people. So there's responsibility as well, which 
but we've got great distilling talent and great people within the within our business. So um, it, we're really excited, really, really excited. It's it's amazing to see. I mean, if someone had said to you ten years ago, we're going to see Port Ellen, Brora, and Rosebank opening back up again, you know, I don't know about you, but I would have laughed in their face, right? Uh, yeah, and I think the really funny thing about it was that it all happened within two days in, in 2017. I remember sitting, I'd literally only just joined Ian McLeod, and I got a hint in my interview that there might be something happening. But uh, um, And um, I remember, I'll tell you the story, Leonard, Leonard ha- had been working very closely with Diageo, and he'd been very, very you know, helpful, and we've got a good relationship with them. And uh, I think they said to us, uh, or said to Leonard, look, could you wait until a particular date in October before you, yeah, fine, you know, no problem. And well, I'll tell you why. And this is the MD, I think, of Diageo. Yeah. Um, and Leonard's like, no, don't tell me. I'll probably just tell somebody by mistake. So don't bother telling me. So on that Monday, boom, Brora, poor Ellen coming back. And we sudden meeting in our office. I'll just go on Tuesday. So we just went on Tuesday. And I remember getting a message from Becky Paskin of scotchwhiskey.com going, the one week I'm on holiday. And look what happens. No way. <laughs> Brilliant. And so how did that, I mean, could you give us an insight into, I don't know how much you know about this, but with Leonard, with those discussions with Diageo, how did that all go? I mean, for such a big distillery like that, it must have been, there must have been a lot of negotiation going on, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like all these things. It's about relationships. It's about I don't know anything about the actual negotiations, but uh, look, it, look, I think we were we were in a good position. We were we it was you know they were happy to work with us because they know us, um, and uh, we managed to get it over the line eventually. And I think that's that that's the most important thing because it, you know unfortunately Rosebank had had a couple of false dawns in the past, and um, you know I think everybody was a bit skeptical and I, I genuinely until I think they saw things being built and you know I was speaking to a guy outside the distillery about a month ago when I was there watching the stills drop in and he said I've, I, I, I cannot believe I'm seeing this day and and the, the enthusiasm is is brilliant and and you know I know that we, we're as excited as anybody so it, it, it is hugely exciting and um we 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 can't wait to start producing spirit we've got Malcolm Rennie who's come from Loch Lee um and uh he's he's experienced at this sort of aspect of distilling in terms of starting it up from was involved in Kilhoman and things like that so he's got a great cv and i can't wait to get going um i really can't wait and let's talk about production of it how closely have you guys looked at the old production process from that distillery and how, how closely are you going to be copying that well we've looked about as as closely as as we can and and we you know we've we've been in the you know, again, Diage have been very helpful, but um, we, we've we've looked at the the stills and we've looked at all the things, all the all the sort of elements. But there's a whole lot of unknowns that we don't have. We don't have new make spirit, for example. Um, so we've got to sort of work that out. But as I said, there's a huge amount of talent there. What we have done, of course, is we have dropped in exactly the same shape stills. So uh, quite odd shaped stills at uh, at Rosebank. Uh, like the the wash still has a flat top on it and the the intermediate still is um, really, really long and narrow, and the and 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 the, the the third still is quite short and fat, which is all a bit. But then, of course, they they condense it through worm tubs, which makes it even odder for triple distilled. So, hey, I think Malcolm is a little bit like there's so many things to to play <laughs> right. with here, you know. So uh, he can't wait. So it's really, really exciting from that perspective. But 
yeah, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns and, you know, a lot of things have changed as well in terms of barley varieties, you know, a whole, how you fire stills, all these things have changed. So we've got to, we've got to understand all that, but I, I actually think we can, we can produce a, a probably a better whiskey. It's going to be so interesting. I think, you know, one of the things that Daz chatted to, to Andy from Brora about recently was, uh, well, in the interview that we just, just put in this episode, actually, um, was all about how the whiskey geeks out there are so excited about, you know, Brora coming back to life. I'm assuming that's going to be exactly the same with Rosebank, right? You must have had already a load of people messaging you guys about this oh that i mean yeah we've we i mean in 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 the couple of years since we really released and put the brand out there is is in releasing all the old whiskies that we we acquired in the deal as well so we, we all the whiskies between before 1993 between 89 and 93 we have all the remaining casts of rosebank so we've been bottling some of those built up eight nine thousand people who really want to keep hearing about rosebank and and part of our club and and facebook pages and 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 the engagement is great and people cannot wait to come and visit and cannot wait to come and see and want to see the videos and want to see the stills and want to see all these so so it's really really good we're not going to be open to the public until 2023 but um you know we are we are heavily heavily um sort of engaged in the whole aspect of this because we have those worldwide fans we have the local Falkirk community which are really proud of what's going on and we have really a a, a really big role to play for this distillery so we are we are it's very very exciting and even simple things that we're thinking about now and what we've been thinking about for a few months of what the tours are going to look like and how we're going to engage with people because actually we don't have any whiskey to pour so all these things are really really in interest what well, we do but it's very old whiskey so yeah. we can't pour that for everybody but you know there's all those sorts of things that we just need to consider Mate, it's going to be amazing i, I i'm for for one really excited about it. Um, you mm. given me the invite to the opening and, and getting Daz along as well. Actually, you can yeah. you can ignore. You don't have to invite Daz. You can just invite me. That just really annoys him when people do that. So <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do that. Probably be February, March, hopefully twenty twenty three. Okay, when you and that's going to be for production, or is that going to be the no production is going to be this year? I, I'm hoping, oh, wow. although it doesn't take much as the for the for things to be put off course at the moment you know if you yeah, have a delay yeah. on something it's not a week or two it's months because of what well, we all know what's going on in the world at the moment so we're hoping that's not the case but uh you know that times may slip that's just what happens at the moment yeah so as we record this this is in uh april yes. 2022 Ooh. so you reckon what september end of the, september okay maybe october Mate, thank you so much for the, uh, the the little insight you've given us there. And like I say, really excited to see this open, mate. And looking forward to chatting to you again soon with a couple of drams in hand next time on the definitely. podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah, definitely. Let's get some drams sorted out and do a bit of podcasting. Like, it's always good to hear uh, Gordon chat. And I know he's been on site at Rosebank and he's been catching up with guys on a, a really regular basis. And I'm kind of following the Rosebank story through him, actually, a lot through his own Instagram yeah, page. absolutely. Or, you know, just from his updates on Facebook and stuff. So, yeah, really cool to hear it from the horse's mouth, actually. And, um, Mitch, it sounds like that was almost an invite. Yeah, I reckon so, mate. And, you know, for those that haven't checked out, if you want another the uh, if you want another whiskey podcast to check out, go and check out Gordon's. Uh, the Unscripted Whiskey Podcast, I think it's called. Is that right? It is. Yep. Yeah, yeah it is. 
And whiskey unscripted. We we may be talking uh, about a little bit of a collaboration coming in the summertime, which could be a lot of fun to do with him. Yeah, yeah. But guys, hopefully you've enjoyed that that episode. Thank you so much yeah. to our guests, Andy and Gordon, for jumping on and helping us out with this episode. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode because on, well, next week, Daz and I are traveling down to Loch Lea, uh, one of Scotland's newest distilleries, one of the, Scot- yeah. the, the newest releases that we've seen. Uh, and we're going to sit down with John Campbell, who's the new distillery manager there. Mate, and I'm really looking forward to that trip. It's going to be really nice. So, Mitch, just before we close off, um, one thing I must mention. So, as always, um, I do tend to run over a little bit or I'm always late. I never really quite listened to the brief. So I spoke to Andy Flat uh, for a lot longer than I was supposed to. Hadn't caught up with him in a little while. So rather than releasing just one episode this week, we are going to release two. Um, so we have the Rejuvenated Distilleries episode, this one that you're listening to right now. But also we're simultaneously going to release a 30 minutes with Andy Flat at Barora, Um because I talk too much, basically, is the moral of the story here. It's actually really interesting, not because of Daz is chatting in it, but yeah, what Andy says I, about... I, all I did was ask questions. Yeah, all <laughs> I did was ask questions. Yeah, But it is really interesting. If you're interested in Brory, you want to hear what Andy says about it, because there's some really insightful uh, little bits, little nuggets that he gives. And he actually gives some some information about Brory that I didn't know about as well. I'm sure you didn't know about it as well, Daz, right? Not mate, tons of stuff. And and look, he's he's he was part of the reopening team. He's 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 been getting his head into it. And and, and you know Andy's he's, he's such a good lad, mate. He's he had his amateur drama blog and stuff like that as well. So he's a guy who is really passionate, really, really into whiskey. Yeah. And it, yeah, it was a great interview. So yeah, check it out. Definitely check it out. Um so yeah, and then we've got a busy few weeks ahead, mate. May is gonna be here in no time. Crank it, mate. Cranking. But guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Daz, good to see you, mate. Till next time. See you soon, Mitch. Thanks for coming. Thank you.